Welcome to the Dream Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Hey, everybody. I know this is uh, different. Um, for some of y'all, it's not different because all y'all ever do is watch online. I'm just kidding. Um, just playing, just playing, just playing. Um, so, yeah, I, I know this is a little different. And let me let me just say a couple of things. Um, number one, we obviously, and I think this goes without saying, but let me just go ahead and say it, uh, did not cancel church because of fear. Um, and I just want to be very clear. Um, however, we do honor our authorities, and so when they canceled or told us that we couldn't meet, ban meeting um, over a certain limit, we honored that, and so uh, I just wanted to throw that out there, um, but all that being said, um, the Lord has blessed us with technology, and uh, y'all know how much uh, I would love to not be doing it this way. However, I think this is going to be really beneficial for you guys, but use this time um, and Spencer said this yesterday. I thought it was really good. But, uh, I mean, this, this is the season where we're going to find out where you have allowed, uh, we, I guess we should say, where we've allowed people to be Jesus for us rather than Jesus himself because we're not meeting as much. And so, um, so use this season to allow Jesus to teach you what uh, I or anybody else could not teach you. So it's a really... It's a really um, beneficial season if you'll take hold of it and use it right. So um, rest, have some fun with your family, and spend a lot of time with the Lord. But today, uh, we're going to start in, um, I think I told you John 4. Stay there. You don't have to go to Genesis with me, but I'm actually going to start in Genesis 2. Um, if you want to, you can, but I'm in the Passion Translation, so I know a lot of people don't have that yet. Um, so no big deal if you don't. Um, let me recap last week, if you missed it, um, just to get us on the same page. Uh, Bill Johnson calls God, uh, this is a joke, but uh, Jehovah's sneaky. And the reason is, is, uh, again, I have to catch, that was a joke. Uh, the reason is, is because um, the Lord has a really awesome way of just sneaking stuff up on you that you weren't expecting. And so when he started speaking about John 4, um, it was totally out of left field for me. Um, I was reading through John, but it just it hit me in a way I wasn't expecting. And when I brought the message last week about the woman at the well, the pretender, the half-breed, you know, stuff like that, go back and listen to it uh, if you missed it. But when I started talking about that, um, I thought the Lord was sending us into something that dealt with the pretender once again, whatever part of the pretender that was left that he was dealing with. And I think that's part of it. But I think the main revelation that the Lord wanted us to understand was the living water. And, um, and so let me, let me just give you a couple of prophetic words the Lord gave me over the past couple of years. And, uh, and then we're going to start in Genesis 2. So um, about two weeks ago, some of you remember this, uh, the Lord started speaking to me. We, we had just gotten through that whole season of it rain. It was like the flood. Uh, the Noah's flood for two weeks. It was just rain, 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 rain. Well, then I think it, I guess it was last Friday or Saturday or a couple of weeks ago uh, when it was finally sunny again. We had about 30 or 40 birds just all over our backyard and uh, all the mud puddles they were playing in and, um, you know, they were singing and stuff like that. And I looked out the window and the Lord spoke to me and said, the rain is over, which was a direct correlation to Song of Songs when the bridegroom king talks about how 
The seasons have changed. The bondage of your barren winter is over. Spring is here. I hear the cooing of doves in our land. So it was very prophetic for where we were. But when he said the rain was over, I thought that he was talking about a new season. I now see he was actually talking about a new ecosystem. And I'm going to explain all this. I thought he was talking about a season. I now, on the other side of John 4, see that he was actually talking about a new ecosystem. In other words, what once required rain now requires streams. Okay? I would take a lot of notes today. I'm going to go through a lot of scripture. Um, What once required rain now requires streams. Uh, This week, hang on to that thought. This week he reminded me of a word he gave me about the rivers flowing into Columbia. So I was driving in, I don't even remember when this was, maybe it was a year ago, something like that, but I was driving into Columbia, and the Lord, if you didn't know this, the Lord uses Google more than just about any other thing other than the Bible, for me anyway. And, uh, and so I'm driving into Columbia, and uh, I just hear a whisper of the Lord, I want you to Google how many rivers flow into Columbia. So I know four rivers flew, uh, flowed, is that right? Flowed, flew, flowed out of the Garden of Eden, four. So I'm thinking, well, this is cool. Maybe there's four that flow into Columbia. It'd be super prophetic. And so I Google it, and there's actually three. I can't name them. Um, can you name them? What are they? Broad, Saluda, and Congaree. Broad, Saluda, and Congaree. Thank you, Spencer and Doug. Um, so there's three that flow through Columbia. So I was kind of disappointed. I, I Google it, and I'm like, man, I thought there was going to be four. And the Lord said, uh, there is four. And I was like, nope, there's three. And he said, yeah, you're the fourth. Which then took me to Revelation 22, the very last chapter of your Bible, which talks about a river that flows from the throne and from the Lamb. Just to make it fun, Columbia just got a new flag about three weeks ago, and do you know what's on the flag? The rivers. So, um... So anyway, the river of the water of life flowing continuously from the throne and the Lamb in the middle of Eden restored, this is all Revelation 22, that has the tree of life on both sides of the river that bears fruit in every month and season and has leaves that are for the healing of the nations. So he took me back, okay, so the rain is over. And now he's speaking about rivers and streams of living water. Okay, so there's a lot of this language. Uh, I want to also thank Ellington for the more we talk this week, the more the Lord just started downloading some stuff. And there's a couple of, like, leaders in here that did worship and stuff. So if any of you guys have anything to just feel free to hop up. There's only a couple people in here. So I made a joke this morning, and I I don't want to dishonor anything, but I'm pretty sure currently right now in this room there's more people than was the second week in the theater. So... Um, So the Lord's really moved. Um, All right, Genesis 2, and let me just read verse 6, okay? Genesis 2, some of you have never heard this, or uh, maybe you have and just didn't really uh, think it was anything that important. So uh, Genesis 2, verse 6, it says, um, 
Let me start at verse uh, 4. Let me start at verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth after they were created. At that time, Yahweh God created heaven and earth. There was yet no vegetation, grains of the field, or shrubs sprouting on the earth, for there was no one to cultivate the land. And this is really key. And Yahweh God had not yet sent rain. In those days, a mist arose from the soil and watered the whole face of the ground. Okay? In those days, a mist. That could be vapor. Um, and this is the translation I personally prefer, especially as it relates today, uh, subterranean spring. So when the earth was created, some of you have kind of remember this from when I talk about Noah. Uh, the, the earth was not fed by rain. The earth was fed from subterranean springs that came up from the ground. Very huge. Okay? So in Genesis 7... Verse 11 through 12, let me just read this real quick. This is the flood, okay? Genesis 7, 11 through 12 says this. It started the flood in the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month on the 17th day. On that day, listen to this, all the fountains of the subterranean deep, so these are the fountains that fed the earth, cracked open and burst up through the ground. Heaven's floodgates were opened, and heavy rains fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. So the subterranean or the inner springs, the inner subterranean springs, burst open, and that initiates heaven's floodgates to be torn open and rain to fall. Let me just say this one more time. I don't think you might call that. Okay, the subterranean springs of the earth bursting is what initiates heaven's floodgates to open and rain to come. The floodgates of heaven are open and shut based on what's bursting out of us. So a lot of times we'll pray, open the floodgates, open the floodgates, open the floodgates. Here's another way we pray that, Lord bless me. Lord, please provide. Lord, do X, Y, and Z. And he's not waiting on your prayer. He's waiting on your prayer with an act of faith to burst, which then initiates the floodgates of heaven opening. This is what he says in Malachi. He says, you've stolen the tithe. You've stolen from me because you haven't tithed. If you would give, if you would give, I would throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing you wouldn't have room to contain it. What was keeping him from opening the floodgates of heaven and pouring out such a blessing that we wouldn't have room to contain it? Giving. So in other words, our lack of giving, and this isn't just giving, by the way, our lack of giving shuts the floodgates of heaven, but our faith in giving throws them open. So how much more does a spring of living water flowing out of us initiate the floodgates of heaven to pour out glory upon us? Okay, in, um, in the book of uh, in Genesis, I believe, and let me make sure I'm saying this right. It's in Genesis 28, I believe. Um, don't turn there, don't turn there, don't turn there. I thought I put a note here, but maybe I didn't. I had so much going on. I think it's Genesis 28. Anyway, Jacob, 
Yes, Genesis 28, 12. Uh, Jacob has a vision. He sees a ladder, and there are angels ascending and descending. Not descending first. There are angels ascending and descending. Now, that word for angels is primarily used for messenger. If you were here Tuesday night at group, I think it was this week we talked a little bit about this. All right, so that word is used for messenger. So that word has been translated prophet. It's been translated a leader. It's, it's been translated angels, but primarily it's used to translate messengers. So he sees a ladder, and there are messengers ascending first and descending, coming up from the earth first and then coming down out of the heavenly realm second. When it says... In Genesis 2, 6, that subterranean springs arose and fed the land. Let me read this one more time, okay? I really don't want to miss this. Genesis 2, verse 6, it says, uh, In those days a subterranean spring arose, that word, from the ground and watered the whole face of the earth. Do you know where else the word in the Hebrew for arose right there is also used? For the messengers ascending on Jacob's ladder. So a spring arose from the soil and watered the face of the ground. That's how the earth was fed. Then Jacob gets a vision of people, messengers, arising and then descending. In Exodus... 1614, I'm just hitting a couple of these. Manna came like dew on the ground and fed God's people. So at that point, the earth was fed before the flood. The earth was fed from subterranean springs. Then when the Lord sends manna to feed his people, how does he send it? He sends it in the way that the earth itself was fed before the flood. Manna like mist on the ground. So go, to, uh, go ahead and turn to Isaiah 42. Keep a spot in John 4. Eventually we'll make our way to Song of Songs 7. I haven't forgotten about Song of Songs, by the way. Um, go to Isaiah 42, and we're going to be in verse, start at verse 5. Isaiah 42, verse 5. I need to get one of those headsets. I need to start using the headset again. Um, I hope everybody's good. I mean, we got coffee, food, all that stuff at your house, so... Y'all should be set. Um, let me take a drink of this. We'll read Isaiah 42. All right. Um, yeah, let's start at verse 5. Okay. Isaiah 42, 5. Here are the words of the true God, Yahweh, the one who created the starry heavens and stretched them out. He is the one who formed the earth and filled it with life. He gives breath to every person and spirit to everyone everywhere. I, Yahweh, have commissioned you in righteousness to succeed. I will take your hand in love and watch over you. I will give you as a covenant. He's talking about Jesus, by the way, right here. Okay, so this is Yahweh speaking prophetically about Jesus. So I have commissioned you, Jesus, in righteousness to succeed. I will take your hand in love and watch over you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. How awesome is that? He says, I will give Jesus as a covenant for my people. A walking light to the nations, 
This is, this is it right here. Your mission is to open blind eyes to set prisoners free from dark dwellings and to open prison doors to those who are held by darkness. I am Yahweh, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another God, nor my renown to idols. Don't you see that what I have prophesied has come to pass? And now I am foretelling the future. I declare it to you before it sprouts up. Remember that phrase right there too. I declare it to you before it sprouts up. Keep going, verse 10. Sing to Yahweh a brand new song. Sing his praise until it echoes from the ends of the earth. Sailors, sea creatures praise him. Islands and their inhabitants sing his praise. Let the desert and its villages lift their voices in praise. Let the tent villages of Kedar shout their praises. Let the residents of Selah's cliffs shout with glee. With a celebration shout from the mountaintops. Let them give Yahweh the glorious praise he deserves and declare his praise in their islands. Yahweh goes out to battle like a hero and stirs up his passion and zeal like a mighty warrior. Yes, his God shout is a mighty battle cry. He will triumph heroically over all his foes. Almost done. For a long time, I said nothing. I restrained myself and kept silent. Now I will groan, pant, and gasp like a woman in labor. I will level their hills and mountains and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up their lakes. I will walk the blind by an unknown way. This is huge right here. And guide them on paths they've never traveled. I will smooth their difficult road and make their dark mysteries bright with light. These are the things I will do for them, for I will never abandon my beloved ones. Just, let me just point this out real quick. He calls the blind his beloved ones. I'm about to show y'all something so cool. But those who trust in idols, who say to their metal images, you are our gods, will be turned aside in total disgrace. Last couple of verses. Hear me, you deaf. What? Do you hear that? Hear me, you deaf. Hold up. If they deaf, they can't hear you, right? Unless he's not talking about ears. Hear me, you deaf. Look up, you blind, and see. Who is as blind as my servant Israel, or as deaf as the messenger I send? Who is as blind as my covenant friend, as blind as Yahweh's servant? Israel, you have seen so much, but you do not get it. You have been taught so much, but what did you really hear? I'm going to stop right there. Good grief, there's a lot. You have seen so much, but you don't get it. You have been taught so much, but what did you really hear? Did, do you know what the word for eyes is? Check this out, all right? 
Isaiah 42, he sends Jesus as someone who's going to open the eyes of the blind. Okay, so that word eyes has two meanings. It's the Hebrew word enayim. Okay, don't try it. It's the Hebrew word enayim. And it has two meanings. Y'all ready for this? It means I, and the other meaning is fountain. So for him to say he's going to open the eyes of the blind would also be for him to say he's going to open the closed fountains. Very big. Everything in the natural is a manifestation of a supernatural reality. And that's why we say all the time, Paul says this, everybody around here says this, healing is, I mean, the, the, the easiest thing in the kingdom. It's like, I mean, Jesus said there's going to be people who in the last days say, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out devils in your name, heal in your name, do all this stuff in your name? And he's going to say, that's cool, I never knew you. In other words, there's going to be people who are not saved that can do those things. That, that's, the, that's entry level stuff. That's milk. Healing is. Think about the, the insanity that it takes for us. If I said to you, the Lord can save your eternal soul, but he doesn't really care about your temporary physical body. Let me Translation. Tom Brady can throw a football 80 yards, but he can't throw it five yards. Right? So, every, so everybody that's thinking today, obviously, that's crazy. So Jesus can open the eyes of the blind. Absolutely. And he does. But he opens the eyes of the blind as a natural manifestation of what he's actually done on the inside, which is open the closed fountains. So he takes the lid off the fountain that has been shut up and when springs of living water start to come out, all of a sudden, what you couldn't do in the natural, you can do now. So what you could not see in the natural before your spring was closed or open, once your spring is open, now you can see in the natural. You understand this? Jesus' mission was not to just walk around and open blind eyes. Because if they're still lost, who cares if they can see? His mission was to so save them that their physical ailments would be erased. So when he meets a blind man, that blind man encounters such a level of transformation power flowing from Jesus that, yes, his eyes are open, but what's happening internally is he was lost, but now he is found. And that's why I say healing, healing is nothing. So for Christians to shrink back in fear because of this virus stuff, we really need to understand what salvation is. You know what I mean? Because for us to say that he has saved our soul from hell and rescued us into heaven for all of eternity, all who believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We have made that a bumper st sticker and made it cheap. That, that is not cheap. For God so loved the cosmos that he gave his son. That should blow our minds right there. Stop. But keep going. So that whoever believes shall not perish. Perish means die. But have eternal life. In other words, salvation keeps you from death. If salvation keeps you from death... 
it definitely keeps you from coronavirus. Do you understand? So, so we number one, we should not fear death. But number two, we definitely shouldn't fear this. And I think a lot of the stuff that's going on in our culture has nothing, and Doug said this this morning, has nothing to do with the virus. A lot of it has to do with fear. I hope you're still watching this. So, Isaiah 42, Jesus is prophesied. He's going to show up on the scene, and he's going to open blind eyes. But really what he's going to do is open closed fountains. So go to John 4, where we were last week. And, uh, and let's just see how this happens, okay? Isaiah is in the Old Testament. Isaiah is a prophet prophesying about Jesus. John 4, Jesus is actually on the scene, and he's about to fulfill what Isaiah prophesied. You ready? Here we go. John 4, I'm just going to read two verses. Uh, let's read verse 13 and 14. And I might have lied. I might read a little bit more, but that's okay. Mostly 13 and 14. Jesus answered, remember... He leaves. They're telling him, Jesus, you're drawing all these crowds. He says, well, that's not what I want, so I'm going to leave. He goes, and he has to go through Samaritan territory. Who were Samaritans? They were those who worshipped idols and also worshipped God. So the Jews considered them half-breeds because they had a religion that half-worshipped idol, half-worshipped God. Okay? Very familiar today. So this woman was a Samaritan woman. The Jews did not talk to Samaritans. They despised them because of them being half-breeds. Jesus, the most purebred, pure breed of them all, goes and meets with a half-breed that the other Jews, who in their spirit were actually mostly half-breeds, pretenders, wouldn't talk to. He goes and he sits where? On Jacob's well, who was Jacob. Okay, I'm just giving you a recap. Who was Jacob? Jacob was the one who dressed up and pretended to be Esau so that he could steal Esau's blessing. Jacob was a pretender. Jacob got his name changed to Israel later on and no longer was a pretender. But this woman is drinking not from Israel's well, from Jacob's well. So a half-breed pretender is drinking from a pretender's well. She's being fed by pretending. So here's how this works. A lot of people feel the pressure to make people think they're Christian when the depth of who they are is, is pretending. So let me, let me just say it like this. Just, let me just use our southern, postmodern culture. All right? Go out on Saturday night. Let's say Friday night. That'll give us a day to, to uh, get over the hangover. All right? So let's go. Friday night. Go out partying. Go hard, drink until you're, you know, you can't think straight. Saturday, spend all day just sick, at, you know, feeling horrible and regretting all your decisions. Sunday morning, you wake up, put on a button-up shirt, put on some khakis, probably some croquis on your sunglasses. Just kidding. Um, it's like Southern, you know, this, this is what we do around here. Um, but anyway, so you put on your, your Sunday best. You go to church, you open up the hymn book probably, sing some hymns, go sit through a 15-minute sermon, go home, feel really good about yourself. Now, when you're at church, you're not talking about the party on Friday night, right? 
We're talking about, man, the Lord is good. Amen. You know, maybe a Yahweh here and there, right? So, so why do we why do we feel the need to do that? Because because we're we're pretending. So we're, we're we project the image of who we are not. I feel zero pressure to try to make you believe that I am who I say I am. I feel no pressure to do that. You know why? Because everybody in this room is who they say they are. And that's not a pride thing. It's that there was a point in my life that Jesus came and sat on the well that I kept drinking from and pretending from. And he sat on the well and said, let me give you a drink of what I've got. If you drink this, you'll never come back to the pretender's well ever again. To which I said, I want this. And then he said, awesome. First thing I'm going to need, pride right here. He tells her, go get your husbands. For me, he said, go get your pride. I mean, so you, you want to drink from me? Awesome. I'm going to have to take all the crowds away from you. Please. You know what I'm saying? That, that's, that's not fun. That's not fun. I was thinking about this this morning. I promise I'm going to read John 4. But none of y'all were here. Y'all are all sitting on the couch. We got all day. You got nowhere to go. Everything's closed. So uh, we, I was pulling in this morning, and I joke about the, the crowd size we had in the theater, but it was real low. And uh, <laughs> some of y'all were here like real low. Some weeks I thought it was just going to be us, and it pretty much was. But um, I loved it. And so we, I leave an environment where I'm leading in front of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands a week. And then the Lord sends me to an environment where there's maybe five or ten people a week. And in that time, he's completely rewiring how I see success. Totally. And so there was weeks where we would have a handful of people there. And I, some of y'all remember, I would just cry and cry and cry because I was so thankful the Lord had given me that place. And so I started honoring the presence of the Lord, because we didn't have crowds for me to honor. Now, fast forward to 2020, and all of a sudden, we're in a spot where we had to pull out extra chairs last week, and our kids are all over the place, and like, people are coming into this. This time, I'm not looking at that saying, man, we've gotten really successful. This time, I'm keeping my focus on the living water and saying, if they all show up or they all don't show up and I'm preaching in front of a camera, he's still good and I still see it as success because I've got streams of living water flowing out of my life. So there was a process of me going from major pretending more than just about anybody else to authenticity. And the transition was him digging into my life, uprooting everything that needed to be uprooted, and then opening up my stream. So he goes, he sits on Jacob's well, and he says this, John 4, verse 13. Jesus answered, if you drink from Jacob's well, you will be thirsty again and again. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. So what was he doing there? 
She says, let me have a drink of this. He says, go get your husband's. She says, I'm not married. He tells her everything about her life. And then she goes, brings everybody in the city to come out and meet Jesus, and the whole city gets transformed. The whole city of what? Pretenders. You understand this? One person with streams of living water flowing out of them has the capability to transform regions. So he opens up her fountain, her blind eyes, her fountain that was closed. He opens it up, and all of a sudden she starts to see life like she never saw it before. And then he has the, the awesome capability of looking into the future and giving us verses like this. Back to Isaiah 43. You don't have to turn there. Very familiar. Yahweh says this to Isaiah. Yahweh is the one who makes a way in the sea and a pathway in the mighty waters. He destroyed chariots, horses, all their mighty warriors. They fell never to rise again, gone forever, snuffed out like a wick. This is what he says. You ready? Stop dwelling on the past. Don't even remember those former things. I'm doing something brand new, something unheard of. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has comprehended. I'm doing something brand new, something unheard of. Even now, it sprouts and grows and matures. Man, I'm seeing some stuff right now. Remember, remember what it said. Um, Isaiah 42 he speaks about opening, opening blind eyes. He speaks about a new song. He speaks about being a woman in labor, leveling the way, opening blind eyes, giving every person breath, walking them by an unknown way. He's given us all this language. And then he says this. I'm doing something brand new, never heard of, now it sprouts and grows and matures. Don't you perceive it? Perceive is also, you could say, understand. Don't you understand it? I will make a way in the wilderness and open up flowing streams in the desert. Wild beasts and jackals and owls will glorify me, for I supply streams of water in the desert and rivers in the wilderness to satisfy the thirst of my people. Are, are y'all starting to make some connections? Okay. I will make a way in the wilderness, open up flowing streams in the desert. I will supply streams of water in the desert and rivers in the wilderness to satisfy the thirst of my people. That's Isaiah 43. The woman is thirsty going to Jacob's well. He says, if you'll drink of the living water that I give you, you'll never, what, thirst again. Isaiah's prophecy was he's doing a new thing, and the initial witness to Yahweh doing a new thing is a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Let me say it like this. The initial witness that Yahweh's doing something new or fresh, got a lot on that, so just hang with me, 
is a way where there was no way and a stream where there was no stream. When he says, I'm doing something new, that word in the Hebrew means fresh. And it's very similar to the New Testament Greek word, kainos, which also means fresh. Some of y'all remember me teaching on this. The new heavens and new earth are not new in age. They're new in quality. So there's two Greek words that are translated new. There's neos, which is new in age, and there's kainos, which is new in quality. So I've used this example. If I have a 1970 Ford truck, and I redo the engine, and I repaint it, and I clean it, and I put new steering wheel in it, and new chairs in it, and all that stuff, I could say, this truck is like brand new. How many of you know it's not a brand new truck? I've just restored it to its new quality, right? So in the Greek, there's neos, which means I just bought a 2020 Ford truck, brand new. And then there's kainos, which is I've restored a 1970 Ford truck to its new quality. Two, when he talks about the new wine and the new wineskin, the new wine is neos. It's brand new wine. But the new wineskin is kainos, same wineskin, just restored to new quality. Okay? This is all review. When he says, I'm doing, um, I've made all things new, kainos, he's restored. When it says we are a new creation, it's kainos, same creation, just restored to original quality. Y'all see where I'm going? So, when he says, uh, behold, I do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? That word in the Hebrew is a word that also means fresh. So he's doing something new, yet it's not something new at all. Jesus goes to the Samaritan territory, who the Jews despised, and lays a way for them to come into life to the full, and opens up streams of living water in the place that was a wasteland. So let me ask you the question. What are the streams? Remember, the initial witness to him doing something fresh are a path and streams. What are the streams? The streams are you and I. If you drink, I need a bigger table. Um, anyone who drinks the living water I give, give them will never thirst again. When you drink this water, it will become a gushing fountain or spring of the Holy Spirit, springing up and flooding you with endless life. When he puts streams in the wasteland, he's actually putting a man whose stream, or woman, a person whose streams have been unlocked in a wasteland. This is, this is the apostolic, for example. He takes someone who, is given, who has been given the blueprint of a heavenly dimension, places them in a wasteland, and says, here are the blueprints, here are the dimensions you come from, take this wasteland and transform it into the place where you came from. 
So Jesus prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But that prayer starts with our Father, hallowed be your name. Then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because the only way that you can establish heaven on earth in the wasteland is for you to be a son or daughter. How do you become a son or daughter? By you finding a way where there was no way. The only way to salvation is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever comes to the Father must come through me. He's the gate. So the only way to get to the Father is through Jesus. The only way to salvation is through Jesus. When you were lost, there was no way to the Father because you didn't have Jesus. But when Jesus entered your story, suddenly there was a way where there was no way before. So when that path is laid in front of you, and all of a sudden you encounter the one who says, I am the living water, and you drink of the living water, now all of a sudden there's a path where there was no path, and you become a stream in a land that there was no streams. <clears throat> I should probably have water instead of coffee. That's why... That's why we say the greatest form of evangelism is your stream being opened. You understand that? The only way you can reach the people around you is not talking the talk and knowing this. That's going to help. But the only way you can reach the people around you is if you encounter him in such a way that he takes the lid off of your fountain and all of a sudden you begin to gush with life. Because then when you encounter people who are lost or people who pretend to be saved, when you encounter them, they're not just hearing your words, they're tasting your drink. Massively different and a lot easier. So y'all with me? So if the new heavens and the new earth are kainos fresh, behold, John says, Revelation 21, behold, I saw the new heavens and the new earth ascending from the heavenly realm. Descending from the heavenly realm. Remember that? It's not a new, it's a restored, regenerated earth. Thank you, Ellington. Thanks, dude. <clears throat> okay? So the earth, by definition, is being regenerated or reverted to original quality. This is a lot of background. I'm about to get into the main message. I don't have a lot left, so just hang with me. Okay, the new heavens and new earth are freshly regenerated back to original quality, not brand new. You with me? Okay, so the earth is then being regenerated or reverted back to original quality, not trending away from original quality. And that's how we view the kingdom a lot. Here's how we view it, all right? I'm trying to get the right angle where you're watching this. So, this is the garden. Heaven and earth created, Genesis 1, all that stuff. Here's the garden. Here's how we see history, okay? It goes from here, and then it trends, it trends, it trends. Jesus shows up. Jesus dies on a cross. Jesus is resurrected, and then it keeps trending, 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 trending until rapture, something crazy. Rapture, blow up the earth, you know, atomic bombs everywhere. The whole universe is blown up, and then all of a sudden he just starts creating again. That, so that's how we see it. This is reality. 
just biblical reality, okay? Garden. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Jesus, the cross, the resurrection. Garden. Should I do that again? Okay. Yeah, that's just for the yeah. That was, that was good. All right. I wasn't expecting that to be like that, but that's okay. I almost said a white boy. All right. So you, Adam and Eve created without sin, without shame. I mean, just think, think about this. Without sin, without shame, perfect, have no knowledge of evil. They have knowledge of good. How do I know that? Because everything he created, he created good. So they had a knowledge of good. They just didn't have a knowledge of evil. Hello. So, garden, Adam and Eve, keep going. They sin, they do all that stuff, they turn to idols. They do Jesus shows up as another Adam. How is he another Adam? He has no knowledge of evil, never sin. The only thing he knows is good. Lives perfect, dies the death that Adam spiritually died in the garden when they sinned. Dies removes the sin issue and sends us straight back to here. Well, Josh, I don't know about that. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here just like it is there. How was it in the beginning? Was there, how do I say this without sounding heretical? Was there a difference between heaven and earth in the beginning? I mean, was God walked on the earth with Adam? What is heaven? God's abode. He abided with Adam on the earth. So was there a difference? No, of course not. In fact, the Hebrew language, for it to say, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, they, the, Moses, when he wrote that, was not talking about two places. He was talking about an entirety. So it'd be like me saying, we took care of Veda, my daughter, when she was a baby, which, oh, I meant to say, hey, Veda. I told you I was going to say hey on the camera, and I haven't, I forgot until just now, so hey. Um, <clears throat> but you might be asleep. No, you're good. So what? What Moses is talking about would be the equivalent to me saying, we took care of Veda when she was a baby, and we took care of Veda when she was an old lady. Now, am I talking about two different people, or am I talking about an entirety of one life? An entirety of one life. The language that he uses, it's a Hebrew uh, linguistic term, and I forget what the actual term is, but anyway, you can go back and study it later. It's not really that important. But it's a way that the Hebrew language would write things to describe things in an entirety. So when he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, what he was saying really was, in the beginning, God created everything. Okay? So, so there was no difference. God was with Adam, and Adam was with God. Adam literally abided in him, and God literally abided in him. So, so Jesus, now it starts to make sense when Jesus says, Father, 
Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's he saying? He's saying, my mission here is to get some people saved, but ultimately my mission is to open up their fountains so that this thing can be one again. So in Revelation 21, John sees a vision, heaven and earth descending out of the heavenly realm. In the end, no matter what theology you were taught, we all agree on this. We were taught the same. In the end, God dwells with man, right? For all of eternity. If you believe the rapture, you believe all that stuff, all of us can agree that for eternity we will be with God, right? However, John says, I saw the new heavens and the new earth descending. So by the way that we see heaven and earth, we then literally have to say in the end, God is still going to be separate from us un unless we don't see it correctly. Are you, are, you, are you with me, right? So, And I'm, I'm talking as if you're responding. I'm hoping you are responding or else I just sound crazy, but that's okay. I'm trying to make it as real as possible. So, the earth is being regenerated or reverted back to the original state. Okay? So, back to Isaiah 43. The initial witness that our world is being restored. Okay? Behold, I do something new. Do you not perceive it? New. The initial witness to our world being restored is a path where there was no path and streams where there was no streams or in a dead land, a wasteland. It's Yahweh making a way for the plugged up streams in his people to flow again or open blind eyes. The Lord really started teaching me about Romans 8, 19 again. This might be the most gold mine of a verse, maybe in your whole Bible. I mean, the mystery within this verse is unbelievable. When he says, all of creation is standing on tiptoe, yearning for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. Now, this is just a real quick Bible study. Let me, your, the Bible does not say all of creation is standing on tiptoe yearning for the manifestation of Jesus. It says all of creation is standing on tiptoe yearning for the manifestations of you and I. That's why I say it's a gold mine. Because if I'm creation and I have the choice between Jesus and how we see man now, I choose Jesus 100% of the time. And yet when Paul's writing this, he's saying creation is waiting for us. Hell, right? I'm just quoting Bible. So, in a, let, me, let me just see this real quick. I have a note to go back and look at this. Perfect. Yes, that's exactly where I wanted to go. Praise the Lord. So, are y'all still with me, the couple of people in here? I know, know y'all are like, okay, awesome, 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 awesome. I love this. Um, okay. In Genesis 2.10, there was a river that flowed from the garden, okay? And then there's four rivers that break off from that one river. Both of those words could be translated streams. So just so we know we're talking about the same thing. But here's something really interesting as I was studying this. <clears throat> the word for river that flows from the garden is a different word 
than the word for the four rivers that break off of the one river. And of course, in English, it's, it's all translated one word, river. But in the Hebrew, these are two different words. And so when I saw this, anytime you see something like this, you really need to pay attention because the Lord's trying to show you something. The river that flows from the garden is the word Nahor. Okay? The rivers that flow from that river and break off into four is the word Rosh. The word Rosh actually means head, like the head, the leadership, or the beginning. It's also translated leading man. So the one stream that flows from the garden creates four head streams. The four head streams are actually what flow throughout the rest of the earth from the garden, not the first one. The first stream flows from the garden and then into the four other streams that actually feed the earth. The head streams. So Jesus, the living water, comes into our picture to tear open the cover of our stream so that we can begin filling the earth with streams of living water. It's not our water. It's the water we get from the one stream that all of us flow out of. But we become head streams for the earth. So all of creation is standing on tiptoe, yearning for the manifestations of the sons and daughters of God. Now, I'm going to take you back to Genesis. This is why we went through all of this. What was the reality in Genesis? The earth was fed, not by rain, by streams. Behold, I do a new thing. It springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Who are the streams? Remember, you and I. What's the water flowing through our streams? Living water that comes from him. But we are the streams in the earth. So, so it makes sense. All of creation, if the earth is being regenerated, remember the word the Lord gave me, the rain is over. What is he saying? He's not giving us a new season. He's giving us a restored ecosystem. What's an ecosystem? It's how everything works. It's how everything is fed. It's how everything works, okay? So he's sending the earth back to original quality. If he's going to do that, the earth is going to have to get to, to the place where it's fed, not by rain, but by streams. So a lot of us have been waiting for the Lord to bring revival, and all the Lord's been waiting for is for you to be revived. Lord, sin revival, sin revival, sin revival, sin revival. And he's saying revival would happen if you would ever get revived. Why? Why? What caused the rain to fall in the first place? The bursting open of the subterranean springs initiated the floodgates of heaven pouring out rain. So as we begin to burst with living water, what happens is, is it tear o tears open the floodgates of heaven to start pouring out what a lot of us have been begging God to do. But the earth, the people around you are, are standing on tiptoe. Let me say it like this. 
all of creation, your family, your co-workers, the people that you go to the coffee shop with, all of them are standing on tiptoe yearning for your spring to open up. So when I lead somebody to Jesus, or when you lead somebody to Jesus, or when they encounter Jesus within you, what are they encountering? They're not encountering me. They're encountering the water that's flowing through my stream from the stream of living water, Jesus Christ himself. So the intimacy with Jesus is imperative. That's what all of this is about. Uh, We... We build ministries off of reaching the lost and off of saving cities. We plant churches to save cities. And I'm telling you, we should not be planting churches to save cities. We should be planting churches to host the presence of God in such a way that streams get opened up. Because when streams get opened up, as we see in John 4, you will transform a city. But Jesus didn't go into Samaria and say, you know what? This place needs to be saved. So disciples, I want y'all to go get a bunch of megaphones. Go get a bunch of food. We're going to give it all out for free. And when everybody gets out here, I'm going to preach the day. I'm going to preach the Sermon on the Mount, part B. You know what I mean? So why, why didn't he do that? Why in the world Jesus Christ could have called on heavenly host to come in and bring all the people of the city in and see seraphim flying around him and doves landing on his shoulder and streets of gold laid in front? He could have totally done that stuff. Yet, he goes in and sits on a well and waits for a woman. That woman must have been some big prophet. She must have been some traveling evangelist that had thousands of followers on YouTube. Nope. Nope, it's a lady that slept around. Jesus, why why would you do that? Right? A lot of what we call crazy, we need to be real cautious. Jesus, why in the world would you go sit on a well and wait for a woman who slept around with people in the city? Unless he saw that that woman, as lost as she was, if she could ever encounter a taste of living water, her stream bursting open would have more of an effect on the city than me pronouncing this big gospel message to the city. And it did. John 4, at the end of John 4, he says, and I'm not saying that the other stuff is wrong. I'm saying it's very inferior. Me, me preaching with this mic today is so much more inferior than my spring being opened up and people tasting the living water coming out of my life. So much more. Because we're, there, I know a lot of people who can preach a lot of great messages. I know some people who have never preached a message in their whole life, and I'll take what's on their life over what's on the people who preach great messages life all day long. Because it's not about the words, it's about the water. Okay, so at the end, they say so many, verse 39 in John 4, there were so many from the Samaritan village who became believers in Jesus. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. What was the woman's testimony? must have been a real good sermon. The woman's testimony was, he told me everything I ever did. 
That's it. Think about this. There were many. This is in John's gospel, your Bible. There were many from, from the Samaritan village who became believers in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. And then John says, I might as well tell them what the woman's testimony was just so they know. Here's the woman's testimony. Ready? He told me everything I ever did. So the people in the town would have known everything she ever did. So, so her, what she's literally saying is, is, hey, I think the Messiah's here. He told me to go get my husband's. It wasn't the message that drew the people. Because without the stream coming from her life, the people would have heard that and said, told you everything you ever did. We all know what you did. This wasn't a surprise. She was the talk of the town. She was the one that everybody was, was uh, what they, what they could do, Snapchat. And Snapchat, y'all still do Snapchat? Okay. <laughs> Snapchat, he's like, man, did you, did you see what so-and-so, did you see her at that party the other night? She had a different dude this time. She was that, that woman, okay? She going, come, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. We know what you did. Who cares? You know, like, it's like, great, big deal. We all know. So it wasn't the message. This time, as the woman was walking through the city saying, hey, come meet a man. He told me everything I ever did. This time, they're looking at her saying, man, something's different about her. Last time I saw her, she was a big pretender, but there's something different about this girl. I got to go see this man. They didn't, they didn't taste her message. They tasted her water. The, Samaria was a, was a region of half-breed, of pretenders. Half, half, half idol worship, half God worship. By the way, you can't halfway worship God. So to say they're half God worshipers, really they're 100% idol worships. Okay? Worshipers. So, these are all pretenders. How crazy is it when a region full of pretenders see someone authentic walking through. I, I just, I can't, I, I don't know if this is hitting y'all like this has been hitting me this week. This, this is massive. What Jesus is literally revealing to us is that he is throwing open our streams. Why is he throwing open our streams? Because hopefully at this point, you've allowed him to stare you in the eyes and say, go get your husband. And if not, that's step number one. Okay? But if you have, he's trusting you with a measure of his presence that when you walk through your classroom, well, I guess you can walk through your classroom now, but like when you walk through your work, when you walk through your quarantine house, whatever, when you're walking through a place that potentially, especially in the South, is surrounded by a bunch of pretenders, when you're walking around them, you are hosting such a measure of authentic presence that it should cause them to look at you and say, there is something different about you. And if I have to tell somebody that I'm saved and I have to dress up and put on my Sunday best and look the part and sound the part and make sure I'm tweeting the part and make sure we're not preaching past 30 minutes. If I'm having to do all this stuff, there should be a bright LED sign flashing above my head. Fake, 
fake, fake, because that's who I was. Now there is nothing to prove because there is authenticity flowing through me. And what he wants to do in our lives is he wants to make us get to the place where we stop continually going to Jacob's well and instead just get a taste of living water. Let me say, let me say it like this. I'm so far away from my notes. It's not even funny, but I, gotta, I think I know how I'm going to bring it all around. Um, let me say it like this. Whatever you drink from is what people will drink from you. So, so if you're drinking from Jacob's well, what you'll start to produce is a bunch of Jacob's. Genesis 1, God put in the DNA of every creature that they can only recreate of the same kind. In other words, you can only recreate who you are. So if I'm a pretender, I can pretend to the best of them. But at best, the only thing I will ever be able to recreate is pretenders. Which is why authenticity in the secret place is is not just the most important thing, it's the only thing. Because if you'll get authentic, what you'll start to see is you'll start creating authentic, authentic Christians around you. So people want, why, why aren't you afraid of this whole coronavirus thing? Well, let's just, I mean, right now, Josh, man, like, you got to be a little bit worried. I'm not worried. Not worried at all. Still go to the grocery store. Don't know why people are buying toilet paper. Should have invested in toilet paper. But, you know what I'm saying? Man, Josh, you got to be worried. No, I'm not worried. Why are you not worried? Because the same power that lives in me that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. If it can raise Jesus from the dead after three days, it can protect me from coronavirus. And people look at you like you got four heads. What people? Not the lost. <laughs> right? Brothers and sisters will look at you like you got four heads. Why? Because what they're doing is they're tasting something that's authentic. And when they do, it causes everything in them to start swirling. The, when the pretender is threatened, it will start grasping at attention. This is in that book. You, you've been reading this, right? Abba's Child. Um, we went through last year. This is exactly what he's talking about. When, when the pretender, with, when the person that you have built up to portray for everybody else starts getting threatened, it starts fighting back. And that's exactly why when you're around people from this region and you start talking about authentic, born-again salvation theology, they start, att- they start calling you devils. They start attacking. Why? Because what's actually happening is the pretender is starting to get threatened. And, and if they could ever push past that pretender being threatened, they could actually step into authenticity where they see the same thing that we see. I don't believe in healing because it's a good theology. I believe in healing because I have lived in it. I have seen it. Jesus taught it. Jesus lived it, and the more time I spend in intimacy with him, the more I begin to inherit his nature, which at least is healing. Same with you. We are made in the image of God. 
What kind of statement is that? That you are made in the image and likeness of God. That, so it makes perfect sense why Jesus said stuff like, all who believe in me will do the works I do and greater works. Well, brother, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. Well, I'm made in his likeness, so I do stuff like him. I mean, this is, this is like first grade, you know what I'm saying? But, but we've got to get to the place where we start looking like him before we try to be like him. And that's where we stop, is we'll start trying to go after healing before you ever believe you're even a son or daughter. And so only 20, 30% of the people that a lot of people will pray for will ever get healed. And it has nothing to do with the faithfulness of God. It has nothing to do with sovereignty of God. It has nothing to do with cessationism. It has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with identity and living water. So what he wants to do is he wants to unplug the plug streams within you, and then it will be effortless. Are y'all tracking with me? The couple of people in here, y'all tracking with me? Y'all awake? Great. So, a lot of people watching this, y'all sound asleep listening to this. That's okay. That's okay. The Lord tells Job that he speaks things in dreams because if he spoke them when Job was awake, it would cause pride to, pride to rise up in him. So some of y'all might be falling asleep and the Lord might be teaching you something. All right. <clears throat> this is it. This is it. Jesus, Jesus came to do two things, and I'm skipping a lot, but that's okay. Jesus came to do two things, all right? And I'm, I'm about to read it, so you don't have to just take my word for it. He came to do two things. John 9 says, I have come to judge those who think they can see and make them blind, number one. And for those who are blind, I have come to make them see, I have come to judge those who think they can see and make them blind. And for those who are blind, I have come to make them see. Remember in Isaiah, I and fountain are the same word. So you could say this. I have come to close the pretender's fountain and open the authentic fountains. Two words. Who was he saying this to? The, the Pharisees. There's a man that he heals of being blind. There's a man who's blind. The disciples come to him and say, Hey, Jesus, just so we know, was this man blind because of his sin or because of his, son, or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, Neither, but I, he's blind because I'm about to show you what I can do. He's blind for your sake. That's what he says. Okay? He heals the blind man. It's on the Sabbath. Sometimes I feel like Jesus did this, this, some of this stuff on purpose, but, you know, just, just to pry a little bit. Um, I can relate. I love doing that. But heals him on the Sabbath. All the Pharisees are outraged because this man was healed on the Sabbath. Not praising the Lord because he's healed. Outraged because, man, this is the Sabbath. Bro, brother, we don't do that. On, we don't do that on Sundays. Saturdays back then, right? Man, we, we just, I don't we just don't do that around here. The man could see. He was blind, and now he can see. And all they're worried about is the day that it happened on. And so Jesus meets the man and tells him, hey, it's awesome. Look at you. Like, you can see now, all that stuff. And the man's like, yeah, you know, that's great. And he says, awesome. Stop sinning, opening up the fountain, 
and live like you're designed to live. Okay, this is Josh's translation. And then he speaks this as some of the, he says this, he says this, he says this. Uh, the man whose blind eyes were healed answered, who is he, master? Tell me so that I can place all my faith in him. Okay, Jesus just asked him, do you believe in the son of God? The man said, yeah, sure, who is he? Uh, tell me so I can put all my faith in him. Jesus replied, you're looking right at him. Boom. He's speaking with you. It's me, the one right in front of you. So he gives him vision, and then he gives him vision. He, he, he opens his eyes, but then he opens his eyes. Let me say it like this. He opens his eyes, but then he opens his fountain. The man threw himself at his feet and worshiped Jesus and said, Lord, I believe in you. Now, where is he saying this? He's saying this around a bunch of Pharisees who want to kill Jesus. So he's saying, Lord, they might not believe in you, but I believe in you. And Jesus said, I have come to judge those who think they can see and make them blind. And for those like you who were blind, I've come to make them see. Some of the Pharisees were standing nearby and overheard these words. They interrupted Jesus and said, you mean to tell us we're blind? And Jesus told them, if you would acknowledge your blindness, then your sin would be removed. But now that you claim to see, your sin remains with you. Then Jesus goes into John, I'm, man, 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 man. He goes into John 10 and starts talking about how he's the shepherds. He's saying this to the Pharisees. He's not teaching anybody else at this point. He's teaching the Pharisees. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He talks about how he's the shepherd and he's the gate. And then we get a verse like this. You ready? John 10, 10. Super familiar. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. Y'all ready? Who's the thief? The Pharisees. I see my whole life, and they're like, and that, that, devil's, that devil's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and at the root of it, I guess it is the devil. But uh, that devil's come to steal. No, 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 no. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. The, Jesus was not scared of those who were lost. He was scared of, not scared in the, like, scared of, but like, in the kingdom sense, of the pretenders. The, the lost never made him lose sleep. It was the pretenders. In Revelation 3, Daniel, go ahead and come up here. In Reve and you can roll that volume on back a little bit too. In Revelation 3, he speaks to the church of Laodicea and says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Right? And I said this last week. He'd rather you be ice cold than lukewarm because at least you have an identity. And, and uh, I believe it's First Peter. And uh, let me make sure I'm telling you right. I mean, maybe I didn't put this in my notes, but I think it's First Peter or Second Peter. Anyway, Peter says that God's desire is no man would perish. 
So what? So people are like, what is the will of God? The will of God is that every single person on planet Earth, all throughout history, be saved. Is that happening? No. Okay, so that so there's free will right there. All right. So it's God's desire that all men be saved. What's standing in the way? Now, what is salvation? You're going from cold to hot, let's say. What's standing in the way from every single person who is cold becoming hot? The invitation into being lukewarm. If you, Think about this. If you're lost and you're invited into a religion where you can still hold all the fun stuff of your lost life, but also getting all the good stuff of your saved life, does that not sound appealing? Right, it, it sounds a lot more appealing initially. And so, so what we've done is we, instead of inviting people into being hot, we've instead realized we can reach more people if we'll just simply invite them to be lukewarm. So the Pharisees said, and all of their actions and what they did said, they were the greatest Christians in all of that region. They kept the law better than anybody. They knew the Bible better than anybody. They spoke the language better than anybody. And Jesus looks at them and says, I've come to show you how blind you are, but for those who are willing to admit how blind they are, I've come to make them see. So what he's doing, I believe, I believe in this season of this corona junk. Uh, I've been calling it Novid. Hashtag Novid. We should start that. I'm sure somebody's already started instead of COVID. I'm a dad. Okay, so in this whole season of this corona stuff, what the Lord is doing is he's taking what the enemy meant for bad and using it for the good. What good is he, what good is he making it being used for? I believe what the Lord is doing is he's bringing to the surface the pretender in every single believer in America. You know what I mean? I, I believe that's what he's doing. It's easy to say, I will not fear, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. And then all of a sudden you get a news alert. First death of coronavirus in America. Total lockdown in the country, you know, like whatever. You get that news, and all of a sudden now you're like, man, I hope they come up with a vaccine because this thing sounds tough. And I'm not, I'm not dishonoring that at all. I'm like, man, I, and all of a sudden what starts rising to the surface is the Lord saying, hey, you right here. I know we never talk, but do you trust me? Like, like, do you? Do you fear? And it's not a bad, like, there's no condemnation. Like, if you fear, that's not like, you know, that's not a condemnation thing. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is if, if the root of your belief system starts to crumble at the first sign of threat, there is not just and encouragement, there, there is a responsibility to go see what kind of foundation there is. 
Remember, those who built their house on the sand were those who built their house without a foundation. So when the rain and winds came, it fell like a house of cards. But those who built their house on a firm foundation, the rock held firm in the same storm that knocked over the houses that had no foundation. So if your house is being threatened by wind, we have a responsibility to go down and see if there's a foundation under there. I mean, it's just, so what he's doing is he's allowing the wind to blow against people's houses so that it will reveal to them what kind of foundation or lack thereof there is under their house. But if you could ever get that foundation and allow streams of living water to flow out of you, not only will we make it through the stuff we're going through right now, we'll actually start to build a hedge of protection where that stuff never even enters the picture. Is there sickness in heaven? No. Is there sickness in heaven? No. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not talking about heaven or hell at this point. We said this Tuesday night. So much of the Christian experience, so much of the Christian experience has been about choosing between heaven or hell. If that's the climax, Lord help us. I mean, that's like that was like 10 seconds of my Christian experience. I made the decision. You know what? I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. And then that sent me on a trajectory of a life of glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. So I am not talking about a choice between heaven or hell. I'm talking about how much of heaven can I get? And that's the difference. Can you go to heaven and be afraid of every virus that comes through your region? Sure. Sure. But I, I refuse to settle for that. That's not what Jesus died for. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm not going to make cheap his sacrifice. He did not die for me to be susceptible to all the stuff I was susceptible to before I died to self. That's not what he died to get someone that would start to flow in such a stream of living water that all of creation would start to be brought out of its chaos and back into its designed order. Or another way you could say that the new heavens and new earth. Do you understand this? In the new heaven and new earth, there is no sickness. In Eden, there was no sickness. So we should be trending in the direction where sickness is a thing of the past. What is keeping us from where we are now and that reality? You know what's keeping it's, it's not the devil. Lord, it is not the devil. He was defeated 2,000 years ago. So it's not him. And it's not the Lord. What's standing in between that reality and our reality is you and I getting sozoed, saved, born again. That, that's what's standing in between it. If you and I could get legitimately born again to the point that our life becomes the streams that fill the earth rather than rain feeding the earth, I've got, I, I know it's 1210. I know it's 1210. 
Lord, help me. I've got so much. What did the rain bring? Destruction. So if the destruction is going to end, the first thing that's got to happen is the subterranean springs to start feeding the earth again. You and I. It, if the springs bursting open initiated destruction in the form of rain to fall, then I dare to believe that the subterranean springs being brought back into their design will send the rain back into its design, which is no longer falling in destruction. Now, like, I know this is a lot, but the Lord is going to use this time, if you'll allow him, over the next week or so, and I am believing that we only got one more week of this. I am praying. Y'all can pray with me. But over the next week or so, you and I have the opportunity to start to not just drink. Some of you have never drank from the stream of living water. Some of you have been so concerned with having to keep, go back, keep going back to Jacob's well and drinking from Jacob's well that you've never stopped and had a conversation with the one who actually wants to shut Jacob's well in your life. So, so some of you have never drank from living water. So that might be step number one. But if you have, step number two is then taking that drink and letting that drink become a fountain that explodes within you. And I promise you, if all of us together can start exploding as a stream of living water, Columbia will be saved. If one woman could save an entire region after an encounter with Jesus, I dare to believe that 70, or however many people we have right now, that 70 people having their streams reinvigorated could save the country. And so I'm going to pray. I want you guys to pray with me. And then uh, I, guess we'll, I guess we'll wrap it up. So, uh, Father, I thank you for technology. I thank you for this family. And, Yahweh, I thank you for this word that you have given us. This is not my word. I wish I could come up with something this good, but it's not. This is all from the throne room. And I honor that so much. Lord, I honor the fact that you're trusting your water with a group of people that on the surface do not deserve it, but have been so transformed into the righteousness of Jesus that we actually start to share in the inheritance of Jesus. So, Father, I pray this next week that you would kill fear in us. Kill fear in us. You cannot have faith and fear. You can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. We can't serve faith and fear. So we choose faith and trust today. And then after that, let the cards fall as they may because they'll fall a lot better than if we were in fear. So Yahweh, we love you in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information, visit dreamcolumbia.com.